Amen. Well, we are really blessed today to have Pastor Andy Shanholtz with us. Um, Pastor Andy's been around this area for a long time, was on staff for a long time at Praise Fellowship, our sister church in Sheboygan, and uh, went on a new, a new adventure, uh, getting this Freedom Life Skills ministry established in southeast Wisconsin. Took a huge step of faith. Step out of that ministry and step into something that was kind of unknown and faith-based and, and uh, shared with us a year and a half about it and um, inspired so many people that a bunch of our folks jumped on board with it. We even have some folks now that are facilitators and uh, they've gone through the training multiple times, are facilitators now, and and, uh, so why don't you come up, Pastor Andy, and share with us about Freedom Life Skills. Give him a hand as he comes up. Praise the Lord. It's such an honor to be here today. I just want to ask, how many were here a year and a half? I think it was March of 2011 that I was here. How many were here at that time? Okay, great. So I don't have to re-preach that message, so that's good. Um, you know, I'm just excited just to have that opportunity. And, and I'm actually in Port Washington probably two, sometimes three times a week. I live in Sheboygan. Uh, my wife is from Random Lake. So, we're, you know, she, she grew up in this area, but I grew up in West Virginia. I think most of you will remember that from the last time I was here. And uh, sometimes my accent will get in the way, but uh, I'll try to be as Wisconsin, especially Sheboygan. You, know, you put a Sheboygan accent with a West Virginia accent, it really brings a lot of confusion for linguistic people. Um, but I just wanted to say that what God has been doing here in Ozaki County is just a, a miraculous. I mean, people in this county have such a heart for hurting people, and it, it's just amazing to me. I oversee Manitowoc, Sheboygan, and Ozaki County. As Pastor Mark said, I took a step of faith. I left a very secure position as an associate pastor uh, and at Praise Fellowship Church just because this ministry so appealed to how God has wired me. You know, it's so exciting to be involved in something that you know God has wired you for a certain task, and you, and you come to the realization of what that is, and then you begin to flow in the gifts that he has placed within you. And uh, part of my stories I'll, I'll share as I go throughout the message is I had a lot of wounds of my past that was driving my behavior and causing me to make bad choices and bad decisions, even though I was a Christian. And it's just a miracle that I've been married for 31 years. It's a miracle that my wife put up with me for 31 years. We probably needed Pastor Pete's class. But, uh, but, but when I came to an understanding of what was going on in my own life, it helped me to be able to take it to the cross, apply by faith the blood of Jesus to those areas of my life, and begin to experience healing and wholeness so I can be the person that Jesus had died for me to be. And it was so exciting. But anyway, I came into Ozaki County about oh, about a year and a half ago. We have put, and if I could just count it, starting October 4th for the men's class. I still need some men. I have five men. I need three more. Uh, so if you want to uh, talk to me afterwards. But uh, October 4th, is Thursday night, we'll be having classes at the administration building down here in Port Washington. But we are on our 13th class. And that's miraculous because these classes are between six and seven months long. And we actually had a state grant to go into the, to the Department of Corrections. We had put over 50 inmates through this program. We were meeting twice a week. For, so every three months we were running classes. And we ran our first group of women's class uh, just recently, just graduated here about two weeks ago. With, and the lieutenant uh, of Zaki County says it was probably the most exciting graduation he has seen, the stories that these women were sharing. But let me share just briefly before I get into the, the crux of my message. One thing that, you know, how many know that God sometimes likes to take us out of our comfort zone? <laughs> I was never a youth pastor. I've always loved 
teenagers, love young people. I love the energy. I love the unpredictability about them. And uh, so Zaki County came to me. They saw the work we were doing in the jails, and they were just amazed by what was happening with the transformation of these men's lives. You know, one man said to me, you know, if I would have had your program five years ago, I wouldn't be in jail and I would still be married. One young guy, 19 years old, said, I took this class when I first started because I didn't think anything pertained. Boy, was I wrong. Everything pertained. I wish my parents would take this class. But uh, so, the, so the, Board of, the, the Board of Education came to me, the Human Services came to me uh, collectively, and they said, you know, we have some, some young men, we have 11 young men that, that are just not adapting in the school system here. It's been a real struggle for these men. I had four young boys from Rawhide that they sent to me from Ozaki County. And then I had young guys from the age of 14 to 17 that were from northern Ozaki, Belgium, Cedar Grove, and Port Washington. Human services were transporting these young men to these classes that we met at the administration building. I got into that at, after my first class. I go, God, what did I get myself into? I was meeting twice a week with these guys. For 12 weeks, I met with them. And I thought, I am losing control. I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. I'm very methodical. Things are organized for me. These guys were chaos on steroids. <laughs> and I, I would just, and I was going, man, what did I get myself into? I would, and I, you know, I begin to learn. One of the things we do in life skills is we, we, give, we give them an assessment a little ways through the class. I, and if I were to do a teen class again, I would do it from the outset. But it was on communication. We all have different communication channels. And, and, you know, there's audio, there's visual, and there's kinesthetic. Kinesthetic is more touchy-feely, a lot more emotions. And, but I, what I come to find out that if you're constantly yelled at and screamed at and hollered at, a child will shut down their audio, and they will not even begin to hear you. And, 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 I, was, and I was, you know, I'm more of a teacher. I'm trying to present material to them, and their eyes were glazing over. They were fidgety. They were punching a guy across the, the table from them. They're, I mean, it's just out of control. So I gave them this test, and I turned out that every one of them were shut down in their audio. They weren't hearing a word I was saying. But then I found out they were visual. So I began to have them draw pictures for me to explain what does rejection look like to you? What does rejection feel like to you? And it was just amazing some of the pictures these kids would draw me. They couldn't tell me, but they could show me. One young boy had a little picture of a smiley face upside down with two tear ducts coming down. And with, with the words underneath of it, it's horrible. Another picture was a young man running into a brick wall, falling down with his hands and feet up in the air. Rejection is like running into a brick wall and no one there to pick me up. Another one who... A lot of young, this one young man, when, when we had um, this, I could tell he had, not, he had not been home. 17 years old, had not been home. Sometimes he'd sleep wherever he could sleep. He would come to my class and put his head down, and he, and he was very creative, very artistic. And he would draw a picture of stepping out of a bedroom window because he was not accepted anywhere. His parents were divorced, his dad's in jail, and he had no place to go. And then when we had graduation, I thought, man, am I even getting through to these guys? And to hear the testimonies after 12 weeks, it was the most emotional, impactful graduation I've ever had. But the sad thing was not one father showed up for their graduation, which would give you a hint as to where the problem lies. And only four mothers out of 11 boys showed up. But, you know, after we graduated, these boys said, you know, I've learned how to deal with conflict. I know, I know how to identify where my anger is coming from. 
I've, I understand what relationships are. I've never understood what, what having a healthy relationship was all about. I understand what it is now. And every one of those young men gave me a hug before they left. And one young man went out and came back in and gave me another hug. They're looking for a role model. They're looking for men that will stand up and be men in their church. And we're talking about the silent prayer retreat. I've been to several with Pastor Pete and with some of the other men from the district. It is an opportunity that will radically change your life. My wife is a travel agent. We travel all over the country for vacation. And I've told my wife, and she thinks I'm still a little crazy, but I've told my wife that I would prefer to go to the silent prayer retreat than go to an all-inclusive in Mexico, Punta Cana, or anywhere, because I get in touch with God. I can lay things down at the cross and hear his voice and know what he wants me to do. So it is a great, great ministry, and I would encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, encourage you to go to the silent prayer retreat. So that, in a nutshell, is what's happening in Ozaki County. We are running a women's class, started two weeks ago. They had their first class. They meet here at Portview. Pastor Mark and the staff has been very kind to open up the facility to us. Uh, I believe they have seven women, and there are so there's room for more women. If you if you want to get into that class, I, I can get you into it tomorrow. Starts at six o'clock. It's here. Just give me a call. I've got business cards at the table back there. You can call me, and I'll work out the details. I will be doing another men's orientation, and women can come too. But I'm going to be doing the orientation this coming Thursday at the administration building, room 118. I've got information that I'll be more than happy to share with you. And, um, but it, I'm going to share a little bit about life skills in my message so you'll get a, a better understanding of what it is. So let me just move into the message now. If I were to ask the question, how many feel that maybe your lives are in shambles? Or maybe it was in shambles. Maybe you felt like you, your life is just totally falling apart. You're, you feel that your marriage is not where it should be. Maybe your relationship with your children is not where it should be. And so, or, or you know, you, you're going to church, you're, you're serving, you're giving, you're involved, but yet something is still missing inside that you just don't know why you continue to make bad choices and bad decisions in life. Why do I keep doing those things? You know, then you're always coming back saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many know that sometimes people have said, well, I've heard that before? And it just doesn't seem to cut it anymore because your actions are not changing. It's just the same old words that carry no meaning. I have found that so many people are just looking for answers to the problems. They have this feeling of despondency and this feeling of despair. But, you know, I, I, but here's something I just found out recently. And I've done a lot of counseling over the years as a pastor. Family ministries is one of my areas that I worked with. And I've had people say to me, says, Pastor, I really don't know who I am. I really don't know myself. I just don't know who I am. Because there are so many expectations that people have for me that I am one way over here in this group. I am another way over here in this group. And when I go home, I'm this person. I really don't know who I am. And what we have found is that a lot of times we call this a pseudo-personality. We begin to take on the, the behavior and the expectations of other people that we, that we don't become the person that Jesus died for us to be. We want to measure up to other people's expectations of us, and then we begin to feel so tired and so frustrated that you can't measure up anymore. And sometimes you just give up. I can't do this anymore. And we have found that what that is, it's like we're living a reactive lifestyle where the wounds of our past are constantly driving our behavior. And, and you know, we just don't know why we'd say and do things, but yet 
we react certain ways to certain things that are said, certain things that are done, or certain, certain experiences cause us to react in a way that is not conducive of a Christian. And we don't know why we do that, even though we're going to church, we're serving the Lord. I used to be in sales, and I traveled all over Wisconsin and northern Illinois, and I would drive by some of these most dilapidated old farmhouses that I've ever seen. And you think the best thing for that old building would be to tear it down, burn it up, or something. But then I would drive back a month, two months later, and it would have siding on it, and it would look like a brand new home. And a lot of times we are those people just like that, that we're so dilapidated on the inside, our foundations is unsure, it's unstable, but yet we put on this facade that makes it look like I'm a new person. But yet on the inside we are rotting and falling apart. But yet we put on this persona that we've got everything together, but yet we're hurting deeply. I want us to go to two places in the Bible. I'm going to camp on two passages. One is Isaiah 61, and the other is Luke 4. Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. Find those couple passages. I want to look at the debut ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' debut ministry was prophesied by Isaiah and is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And what we're going to see here is God's strategy to help us in rebuilding the ruins of our lives. Isaiah 61, and I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 4. Verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now jump down to verse 4. Now you see, he's, he says, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do these things, and here's why. He says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. The desolations of many generations. I want to comment on the phrase, the desolations of many generations. I want to suggest to you a spiritual application to a physical event. See, many of us today are experiencing the consequences and the devastations that were caused by our ancestors or our parents. Now, at the last time I preached this message, I said there are five things that will freeze our emotional development and cause us to act like children. I said if we have experienced rejection, incest, molestation, emotional or physical abuse before the age of puberty, your ability will freeze at that point. At that point of trauma, before the age of puberty, if you've had one or a cluster of those things occur to you in, in your life, before the age of puberty, your emotions freeze and your ability to, to resolve conflict, to manage your anger, to give and to receive love will be that of a child. You will act like a child in those areas. In fact, just, and I don't want you to point at anyone, but, but just think about this. If you've ever seen your children between the ages of 6 and 10, how they resolve conflict. It's name-calling, blame-shifting, slamming doors, pouting, going to another room. Let's fast-forward that. How many of our spouses resemble that picture? Don't raise your hands. But you know, because that is so true because every time there's a conflict or a, an adversity, we begin to revert back and resolve that as children because of the desolations of many generations. We just don't know how to resolve conflict.
In fact, statistics show that most married couples, when they get married, men have the emotional capacity of a nine-year-old. And what pastor would perform a wedding for a nine-year-old and an adult woman? But yet, that's exactly what we do. And most women are at the emotional capacity of 11 and 12 because of the wounds of their past. You know, in fact, let's listen to this. If, if we were raised in an environment where there's rejection, where there's shame, where there's fear and anxiety and helplessness, then you have a difficulty accepting truth. You have a hard time accepting truth. You're very suspicious. You can't trust. Do you ever wonder why is that? Why can't I trust people? Why can't I trust my spouse? Why can't I accept what they tell me? Why do I have to second guess? Why do I question when they tell me they're someplace, but I question that, well, maybe they weren't there? It's because the wound of your past is driving your behavior. Now, I share with you an example in my own life. I worked in a furniture factory for 10 years. Not only, was, not only did I build furniture, I became a supervisor, and I was instructing other people how to build furniture. But yet... Whenever my wife would buy something in a box and bring it to me, says, honey, look what I bought. She's all happy. She'd bring it home, and I would start pouting. I said, why can't you buy this put together? I mean, why do I got to put this together? I would pout. I would stomp. I'd go to another room. It would sit there for two or three days. I wouldn't touch it. It didn't make any sense because I built furniture for a living. And then when I, got, when I got into engineering, I began to write instructions to how to build furniture. So I've got some measure of intelligence. It's very debatable, but I've got some measure of, of intelligence that I can read and follow instructions. But yet I would have that same behavior all the time. And I didn't understand why. Well, it turned out as I was doing more research and studying and, and going through the program of Freedom Life Skills, all of a sudden in my mind, I'm transported back into time as an eight-year-old boy. And I'm sitting next to my dad. And he says, Junior, get me that part out of the box and hand it to me while I've got my hand holding the part so I don't have to move my hand. Just hand me the part and I'll replace this and, and put it on the car. What does an eight-year-old boy do when he's asked to take something out of a box? Most eight-year-old boys are very curious how it was put together. So I begin to take it out of the box and, begin to, and I begin to play with it. And then when he asked me for the part, I gave him two pieces. And my dad went very ballistic. He goes, you are the dumbest SOB I have ever seen. You make me sick. Get away from me. I don't want to see you around me. You disgust me. My dad was my hero. And if you're an eight-year-old boy who is, who is yelled at like that by your hero, what happens? You repress that memory. I had stuffed it because he was my hero. But subconsciously, in my subconscious mind, every time I was asked to take something out of a box, my subconscious mind says, you're, you're a dumb SOB, and the one who loves you is going to yell at you. See, my, re my behavior, my reaction to that was driving my behavior. The wound of my past drove my behavior, and I didn't know why. So it wasn't until I came to the point of consciousness, so wait a minute, that's my wife asking me to do that and not my dad. Different situation. Let me fast forward to an illustration that you can understand. How many are familiar with Google? I know some people say Google's like God. You just put in a word and pop, the answer is there. But Google is a search engine. So what you would do, you begin to put in the information, and within, within a flash of an eye, all the information associated with that word will pop up. So what do you have to do? If it's not exactly what you're looking for, you have to give it more information. And when you begin to give it more information, it narrows down the search, and then what you're looking for pops up. Same thing in our subconscious. Our subconscious mind will associate every event at the, at the first point of trauma, everything that is similar to that event going around, it may not even be the same event, 
that anything associated with that event, you're going to react accordingly because your subconscious mind has that locked into its computer until you tell it specifically that's not the same event. This is my wife asking me to do something and not my dad. And then the light came on. And now my wife is so ecstatic because I'm going around the house fixing everything. Seriously, I'm, I'm, she, she has never been happier because I identify why my behavior was, was, was so, you know, it, it just wasn't conducive to someone that has some measure of intelligence and built furniture for a living. It just didn't make sense. But when I was able to identify it, I could take that wound to the cross and say, Lord, bring healing in this area of my life and help me to function in a, a level of normalcy. You know, some of us also are what I call victims of life commandments. A life commandment is a belief system that we live our lives through. For example, when I was growing up, someone said, you're never going to amount to anything. How many of you ever heard that? I'm never going to amount to anything. Of course, I'm driven to prove them wrong, so I become a workaholic. But then what happens then? My family life begins to suffer. So I've got to break that life commandment to bring balance into my family life. But yet some people begin to accept that. If I'm not going to amount to anything, then why try? And somehow this... Attitude that, well, we've always been so poor, I guess you're all, we're always going to be poor. We can accept that as a filter which we gauge our life. Let me share a quick, a brief story before I get into the, some of the Bible verses I want to share with you, which is Jesus' mission to rebuild our lives. I have a, I have a, had a younger brother that passed away this January, January 22nd. Three years younger than me. His name is Jeff. Jeff was 50 years old. Jeff had drank himself to death, basically, with drugs and alcohol. He killed himself, basically, to excessive drink and drugs. And I wonder, why would, what would drive a person to that extent of self-destruction? And then in life skills, it helped me make some understanding of this. You see, before, before the age of puberty, every child will assume full responsibility for the divorce the death or the abandonment of a loved one. I mean, you, you may not know it consciously, but, you're, but again, your subconscious picks it up. It's my fault. If I'd been a better child, my mother wouldn't have left. My, so-and-so wouldn't have died. If, they, just, they don't know until they bring it to consciousness. Well, my mother, as I shared with you, walked out on us when I was 13. Jeff was only nine. So Jeff had this feeling that there must be something wrong with me. I'm the middle child, and everything was okay until I came along. The mom started to run around with different men, so it must be something wrong with me. That was what his behavior portrayed, even though in reality, mom loved him, but he didn't feel loved. In fact, he didn't think he deserved love. And he began to act down accordingly. Fast forward a couple more years, we had another brother who was born with a half a kidney. And we know we're born with two kidneys. Greg only had a half. When Jeff was about 16, Jeff was going to donate his kidney to Greg. They had prepared Greg, took Greg's kidney out. Jeff laid on the operating table for two hours with no attention from any of the medical staff. Jeff decided, I can't do this. Gets off, runs out of the hospital. A year later, our brother Greg dies. So here we have a young man that feels, I don't deserve love. And now I killed my brother. This is the guilt he lived with his whole life. And imagine you try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him when someone feels in their mind, I don't deserve to be loved. Not even God can love me because, because it's my fault that broke up the family and it's my fault that my brother died. See, that's the, the shame that he lived with. 
So he began to punish himself all his life with excessive drugs and alcohol. Jeff was about my size, but about 400 pounds. Didn't eat a lot, drank continuously. Just drank continuously. So I get a call on Wednesday. The doctor saying, your brother is not coming out of here. So I drive up to Green Bay. He lived, my brother lived in Sheboygan with me. So I drive up to Green Bay to St. Vincent. And I'm talking with my brother. And I said, Jeff, you're not coming out of here. You have to make a decision now. Today is the day of salvation for you. You have to receive the Lord. And he would, and he would say, and for a number of years, he would never allow me to preach to him or pray with him. You know, how, you know how hard it is for a family member to share the gospel with somebody else? Because all they see is the, the punk he used to fight with growing up. They don't see someone who's, who's experienced a transformation, who really cares. But I said, Jeff, today is a day. And he would just begin to cry. And he, and he says, you know, I just... I, I just don't deserve to be loved, not by God, by anyone. I said, you none of us deserve to be loved. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, not when we showed improvement, but while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross for you and I so that we could have eternal life with him. It's not on how good we can be. It's not, it's not on, a, on a scale of goods and, and, and of, of pros and cons. What, what, that my good deeds outweigh my bad. It's because he loves you, when you while you are, are unlovable. That's when Jesus wants to come in and change you. I said, Jeff, can I pray for you? He says, yes. I held his hand and I prayed with him. He received the Lord on his deathbed. I went back up on Friday to see him again. He was already unconscious between heaven and earth. And he was laboring for his breath. And I began to cry because, you know, as, as a big brother, you see your little brother struggling. And, and when my mother left, I become the parent. I raised my brothers and sisters until I was 18. I was a surrogate parent because my dad became an alcoholic. He couldn't deal with the rejection of his wife leaving him for his brother. It's one thing leaving for another man, but leaving for your brother destroyed my dad. But yet my brother took on that responsibility. He thought it was his fault that this happened. And so I went in and I saw him and Jeff was laboring for breath. And I laid hands on him. I said, Jeff, it's time to go. You have my permission to leave. It's time to go. Dad and Greg are on the other side. They're waiting for you. Just time to go. And I saw tears coming down both sides of his eyes. Because he couldn't communicate at all. But I laid hands on him. I prayed with him. And he lifts his hands like this towards heaven. And then he drops them. Sunday, he went home to be with the Lord. Wednesday, I preached his funeral. I'm saying this story that Jeff had a reactive living, a reactive lifestyle. The wounds of his past drove his behavior because he didn't deserve, thought he deserved to be loved. He punished himself, and so many of us are living a life in ruins because we feel that we have to be punished. We go through the motions, but nothing seems to be good enough. And we feel that we deserve to be punished. We deserve everything that we get. We deserve it. But you see, friends, Jesus loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross so that you don't have to carry that shame or that guilt any longer. But you can, you can release it to him and he will give you a new life. And I know that Jeff is experiencing that new life right now. But he was a product of desolations of many just generations. He felt that he had been rejected. 
He was physically and emotionally abused growing up. So he, had, so he really acted out accordingly. So we have to come to this place where we, can be, where we can begin to apply God's grace to enable us to break the strongholds that have held us captives. If you feel that your lives are living in ruins right now, Jesus says, I've got some good news for you. I've come to help you to rebuild the ruins of your life. The ruins that were caused by many desolations. So let's look in a word now at the mission that Jesus gave to rebuild the ruins of our lives. The first thing we see in Isaiah 61, he says, I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to preach good news and good tidings to the poor. You see, friends, the poor here is not referring to one's economic condition, but it's referring to the humble of heart. In fact, this word means to be destitute or bankrupt. And this is displayed so clearly in the story of the prodigal son. It's one thing to have a need, but it wasn't just the need that drove him back to the father, but it was coming to the point of desperation. It's coming to the point that I've got to have God in my life. I've got to have a relationship with my father again. We all have wants and we all have needs, but when you get to the point of total dependency upon God, that's what poor in spirit is. That God, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. It's, it's realizing your own inadequacy, your own inabilities to do things in your own strength. That's what humility is. It's recognizing that I can't do this without the grace of God to help me get through this. So many of us have tried to put our own lives back together through self-help and through various positive mental attitude things. But it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ, his divine enablement to do what truth demands. And that's what grace is. It's God's divine enablement to do what truth demands. Whatever God requires of us, he empowers us and enables us to do that. That way he receives all the glory. Isn't that exciting? So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, in Matthew 5, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Again, to be poor in spirit is a complete absence of pride. It's a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. You know that pride will simply close the door to God and, and stop the change process in your life? Because you feel, I can do it on my own. I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone's help. I can do this on my own. But we need the grace of God to help us. So Jesus said, I've got good news for you. I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm preaching good news for you that you don't have to do this on your own. That I have come to help you to rebuild the ruins of your lives that were caused by many desolations of past generations. You don't have to allow your past to define you, but you can allow the grace of God to define you. So many people will say that I'm this because of my ancestry. I'm, because, I'm this because of my, my heritage. But you don't have to allow that to define you. The grace of Jesus Christ will define you. And then the secondly, he says, I've also come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to heal. The first is I've come to preach good news, but now I've come to heal the brokenhearted. It's interesting, this word brokenhearted is from the Greek word that means to tear one's body. It means to shatter one's strength, to suffer extreme sorrow, to be crushed. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you felt someone just ripped your heart out and just stomped on it and that it just shattered in a million pieces that you could never put it back together again? That's exactly what that word means. It means to be crushed. It means to be shattered. But Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to put it back together for you because there's no way you can do that on your own. In fact, there are a couple passages I just want to point out to you very quickly. You can write them down. In Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, verses 31 through 
34, this is a story where, where Peter is saying, Lord, I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Others may turn away from you, but I will never. And Jesus says to Peter, says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will have denied me three times. Jump down if you're in Luke 22 now, verse 60, verse 60 through 62. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let me paint this picture for you. Jesus had had this conversation with Peter. And Peter says, I'll never forsake you, Lord. And here's Peter over here. He said, oh, you were with him. I don't even know who this guy is. What do you mean, tell me I was with him? I know who I was with, and I wasn't with him. And then when the rooster crowed, I can, I, can, I can imagine from a divine silence. Because it says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And I can see Peter turning and looking at Jesus. And their eyes just meeting right there. And all of the memory, the rejection that Peter had said, I will never forsake you. All of a sudden, the rooster crows, and all that is played back in his mind again. And then it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. The exact same Greek word as brokenhearted. Peter went out. Peter was brokenhearted. Peter's heart was crushed because he knew that he had denied his Savior. But then we fast forward to the grace of Jesus Christ in, in John 21. And this is the story in John 21, 15 through 17. We see that... Peter is being restored. They're on the sea bank, and Peter and Jesus says to Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Yes, Lord, I love you. But Jesus asked him, Do you love me the God kind of love? Do you love me the way that I love you? And Peter's response was, Lord, I love you like a brother. I love you like a, a friend. Then Jesus asked him again in his own language, Peter, do you even really love me as a brother? Do you even love me as a friend? And I can see Peter again, played through his mind, says, Lord, you know all things. I can't fool you. I can't lie to you. I can't hide. I can't put on a facade because, Lord, you know all things. Yes, Lord, I do love you like a brother. Jesus says, good. Feed my sheep. Because what he was saying now is, Peter, you're honest and you're broken. And I can now use you. And sometimes it takes us to the point of exposing our heart, the real intent behind our heart, the real meaning behind our heart, so that God can begin to use us and not, and not, use, and not us using God. But God is using us to further His agenda, to reach a hurting generation, to bring healing to the wounds of people's past, because He is now, at this point, open, honest, and transparent. And that's where God wants us to come. Is to expose our heart so that he can bring healing and bring deliverance. And the third thing he says in, in, in Isaiah 61 is, he goes, I'm bringing deliverance to the captives. I'm bringing deliverance to the captives. So many of us have felt like we've been held captive. We've been, we've been held in our strongholds that we feel like we have been imprisoned because of the decisions that we have made. But Jesus says, I have come to bring deliverance to the captives. 
In Psalms 142, verses 6 through 7, he says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. This is Psalms 142, 6 and 7. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. We as believers need to realize who we are in Christ. We need to realize the price that was paid for our redemption and the authority that has been delegated to us to walk in victory and and not allow the circumstances to control us and to manipulate us. We have to come to the realization that our God is bigger than anything that we face and not our circumstances bigger than our God. We have to realize that if God has called me to do something, he will equip me to do that. If God has brought you together in a relationship, he is going to give you all the tools you need to make your marriage work. Because he doesn't bring you together to make your lives miserable. I know that sometimes we may think that, but that's not the truth. The truth is, he has brought you together in relationship to help you to fulfill your destiny. To help you to achieve the purpose in which he has made you. And he always knows what's best for us. Father always knows what's best for us. And he'll bring our helpmates into our lives that will help us to grow and to be what God wants us to be. But, but all we begin to look at is our hurts, our rejection, the arguments, the things we have. And we forget how love-struck we were when we first met our spouse. And we forget that so quickly because of the pain that we're experiencing. I used to do so much marriage counseling. And, and sometimes I felt like I just needed to wear a striped shirt and a whistle. It's like CNN and Fox News going back and forth. I could hear her screaming and hollering. I couldn't get anything in. But I always would try to, try to take them back. Says, can you please tell me how you met? Can you tell me how you felt, felt when you met each other for the first time? Can you tell me what it was like when you proposed and she accepted? Can you tell me that? I said, now can you tell me where things begin to drift away? Can you identify those moments? Because they forget about all the good and all they think about is the bad that they're experiencing right now. But we need to realize that Jesus has come to bring deliverance to the captives. And the enemy comes in like a flood to destroy our relationships, to destroy our homes, to destroy our families, and to destroy us. We feel like we're held captives by the lies of the enemy. But Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Now go to Luke chapter 4. I've got two more points and I'm going to be closing here. But I want to, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives a couple more things that were not mentioned in Isaiah that I thought would be very interesting when he was talking about, when he was quoting Isaiah at the debut of his ministry. In Luke 4 verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, and now, and recovery of sight to the blind. He goes, I've come to help recover the sight of the blind. It's interesting here, this recovery of sight to the blind, it it, it infers that they were able to see at one time. Because it's recovery of sight to the blind. So the inference is that they saw at one time. In fact, the Greek word here means, it, 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 it spiritually implies that they had understanding of truth. Metaphorically, it's used of the dulling of one's intellect. It's looking at things through a cloud of smoke. Looking at things through a cloud, your intellect has been dulled. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it tells us that the God of this world, the God of this age, Satan, comes to blind our minds. 
He's the mind blinder. He doesn't want you to embrace the truth because he doesn't want you walking in freedom. He doesn't want you walking in liberty. So he begins to blind your mind and your intellect, your ability to discern, becomes dulled. In fact, in 2 Peter 1.9, this is really a great passage. You might want to write this down and then look this up. The 2 Peter 1.9, he says, For he who lacks these things. And the things he's talking about, the, these things is in verses 5 through 8. And these are virtues that promote spiritual growth and character. So he's saying those who lack the virtues of spiritual growth and character, he says you are short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he, had, that he was cleansed from his old sins. Sometimes we as Christians, we're on our journey, but yet we have been hurt, so hurt and so wounded that, our, that we begin to get dull in our relationship with God. And we, and we begin to forget how much we have been forgiven. Think about that. We have been, sometimes we get into this rut and we, and we, try, to, we try to clean up the fish before we catch them. We're trying to, we set standards of how people should come before they enter our doors. Well, you're not quite clean enough and come in our doors. But, you know, we forget how much we have been forgiven. We forget how much Jesus died for us and how he saved us and how, he, how he's brought healing and redemption to us. But we set these standards that nobody can keep or maintain. You know, we have to catch the fish before we clean them. And it's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to realize that we've been cleansed from our old sins. And sometimes we need to reflect upon the grace that was bestowed upon us so that when we came in, it would bring a humility that people will want what you have. They don't want self-righteousness. They don't want spiritual pride. They want someone that is broken and humble where the, where, the, where the grace of Jesus Christ is reflected through your very life. That's what people need to see. And then finally, he says in Luke chapter 4, is to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The King James says to set at liberty those who are bruised. I think that's a great picture. Those who are bruised. See, a bruised or oppressed means to be broken by calamity. Physically, a bruise is a rupture beneath the surface of unbroken skin. I think spiritually speaking, what he's talking about here, that these bruises are trouble beneath the surface. These are troubles beneath the surface. I believe Jesus at this point is starting to deal with our emotional hurts. Many of us have struggled to get free, only to fall deeper into oppression and bondage. If I'm, being, I'm being honest for you, for you. Many of us have a try. We've gone to church, we've gone to small groups, we've been to Bible studies, but yet we just can't seem to get free from this bondage that we're experiencing or the oppression that we're going through. Why is that? It's because we only keep dealing with the surface manifestations of the problem and we never get to the root. We never get to the core of what the problem really is. We want to blame somebody else. We want to mask it. We want to hide. But we really don't want to expose why we are the way we are. Let me close with an illustration. This illustration, I believe, will sum it up for all of us. I don't know about you guys, but this year has been the worst year for spiders that I've ever seen. And I hate spiders. Maybe hate's a strong word. I dislike them intensely. But I go out, and I'm on my deck, and I see these spiders all the time, and I'm going around the house, and you know, knock them off the lights, and they're around the deck and stuff, then I come out. But what I, what I do is this. i, I got to get rid of those spider webs. I go into my house, and my wife has this Swiffer. It happens to be pink. So I'm very secure in my manhood. I'm out in public with a pink Swiffer, knocking down spider webs everywhere. I'm walking around the house, and I've got them all down. 
So I go in and get a glass of iced tea. I go back on the deck and I feel very good about myself. And all of a sudden, I see another spider web. Or I come out the next day and every one of those spider webs are back again. So what do I do? I get my pink Swiffer, I go back out, I'm knocking all of them down again. Isn't that the definition of insanity where you do the same thing over and over and over again expecting different results? What's the problem? You've got to kill the spider. If I don't kill the spider, the spider webs will keep, will keep reoccurring. So I have to kill the spiders. And what happens in our lives, we continue to make bad choices, bad decisions, keep doing the same thing over and over again, and we expect different, a different outcome. But until we deal with the core issues in our life that are bringing about this reactive behavior, it's going to continue. Regardless, if you're going to church, if you're a Christian, it's still going to continue. There are residual effects from bad choices that we've made in our past. And sometimes it's not just the choices, sometimes it's just we don't know why we do what we do, but we do it anyway, and it gets us into trouble. I talked to a police officer the other day. He says, you know, when I arrest someone, when they tell me I don't know why I did it, he goes, I'm starting to believe that. That they don't know why they did it. It's because the reactive living is driving their behavior. When you're, when you're three or four years old, you go into a grocery store with your mom and you knock a Fruit Loops into the basket, you think it's funny when you get to the checkout. But you, but you become an adult, you take a box of Fruit Loops out of the store without paying for them, you get arrested. So you need to realize that we have to kill the spiders in our lives in order to, to keep the cobwebs from reappearing. We have to deal with the core issues in our life so that the behavior that we want to eliminate will quit appearing. We, Jesus has given us these tools to rebuild the ruins of our lives. Friends, we have to kill the spiders so that we can begin to, to, to display the character and the conduct that Jesus desires for us. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask this question. It says, Pastor, you, I believe you were speaking to me today. I just, I want you to, I just ask you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to have you come up here. I just want to pray with you. Because say, Pastor, I believe I'm living reactively. I believe I continue to do things. Even though I'm a Christian, I'm still doing things that I shouldn't be doing. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do, but I still do it. And I don't know why I do it. I'm just frustrated. Can you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. God sees your hands. God sees your heart. I want to pray for each and every one of you right now. Because I believe that a lot of times we are the product of a life commandment that has been spoken over us, either by a parent or by someone that we have begun to live our lives accordingly. We believe these lies. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, you have seen every hand that was raised here this morning. Father, I just pray that you would open the eyes of their understanding that they would see that they would see where the wound of their past is coming from and Lord that you would bring in healing because we know Lord we can only fix the things that we understand it's the things we don't understand that drive us crazy so Lord help us to see why we do what we do and Lord I just pray that you would provide grace for these to walk in victory and Father right now in, G in the name of Jesus I want to break strongholds over the lives of people here Strongholds that have said that you're no good. Strongholds that have said that you're unlovable. Strongholds that have said that you're never going to mount anything. That you're a loser. This is a lie from the devil. Jesus did not make junk. You are here today by divine appointment. And you're on this earth because God has a purpose that only you can fulfill. You are unique and valuable in the kingdom of God. Do not allow the enemy or anyone else to rob you of your full potential and your full destiny in which he's called you to fulfill.
So, Father, I loose your ministering spirits into the heart of every person to bring healing, to bring deliverance. Father, today is the day of salvation. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, today is your day of salvation. If you would simply pray something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my heart and take control of my life. I give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed something like that, welcome to the family of God. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And Jesus is going to use you and take you to where he wants you to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Andy the Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver but it's in Proverbs it says it's valuable thank you for a very valuable word that's been fitly spoken you know the only thing I want to say in closing is this why would I have Pastor Andy come back and why will he come back in the future um, why freedom life skills because this is what I found over 20 plus years of being a pastor people often come to me with issues and problems in their life and I sit down and I talk with them and I realize sitting in my office and talking to them is not going not to make a difference Jesus is the answer for everybody it's the answer but they need something more and uh, freedom life skills is something that's something more and we have seen in our church seven, seven ladies seven ladies go through this one guy and I have talked to a number that have been through Freedom Life Skills, and they've talked to me about how it has brought how the Lord has used it to bring incredible change and transformation and understanding and healing and deliverance into their lives. And so, if you um, recognize there's some things in your life that um, God wants to work on, sometimes husbands and wives, sometimes just individuals, I really recommend you talk to Pastor Andy more about joining a Freedom Life Skills class. We have how many from our church in it right now? Three or four right now that are that are in the brand new classes starting for Freedom Life Skills, and so uh, just a great ministry, and we're really pleased with the results. So thank you for taking the risk that you took, the step of faith, leaving that that very uh, sad, very satisfying and uh, secure position, and going off by faith and starting something. So, uh, Lord, let's just pray together. I want to pray that Freedom Life Skills will continue to advance in this community, that God will continue to give them favor, and I think you're looking for a grant a state grant to, to for the prisons and the school systems. So we're going to pray. Let's pray together that God will, will make that grant come to pass. They need that grant to do the, school, the work in the schools. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a great God. And Lord, that you have um, incredible plans for the lives of every person on this planet. And that, Lord... Um, because of sin in this world, so many people are wounded and fractured. Matter of fact, every one of us is wounded and fractured. And Father, we thank you that you have raised up this ministry that is now across our nation, um, being used effectively all across America to bring healing and restoration and deliverance um, into the lives of people. And we pray, God.